This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Brought to you by Carter, Subaru, Volkswagen, and Acura on Seattle Sports. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Well, our final day without Brock. He'll return on Monday. And uh, after some fantastic fill-in work from KJ and yesterday from Brady Henderson, I thought we'd bring in another good friend of the show, someone that you'll be hearing from a whole lot more in the coming weeks and months as the calendar turns, the great Shannon Dreher. Hi, Shannon. Good morning. I got the button. Nice job. I mean, you have that big setup. You have to hit the on button. One of these here, you can have a little, uh, oh, a little uh, thing for your microphone there. It's good to uh, it's good to have Shannon in. So obviously we're going to talk a lot of baseball today, but Shannon's not just a baseball person. She can talk a little football, talk a little everything. So uh, we will do all of those things over the course of the morning. Uh, I got some rapid fire questions for you at some point, Shannon. You're going to get to be here for open phone lines. So hopefully people will behave for you. I don't want to hear any, uh, I don't want you guys embarrassing this show in front of Shannon. We have a reputation to uphold. So we'll do that uh, at 930. So a whole bunch of things. Let let me start here. A week or so ago, Morris sent this over to me, and it's been sort of like sticking in, like I've been thinking about it a little bit since. And that is a, a grading that David Schoenfeld did. And in it, he graded uh, the Mariners offseason an F. Straight F. Fail. Okay. He says the offseason began with the dreams of Otani. Did they really? These were nice dreams, wild, vivid dreams, full of life and color and home runs. Then came word that the Mariners were not going to increase payroll, that right at a time when they needed to improve to keep up with Texas and Houston, ownership was suddenly concerned with local TV revenue. So it's led to another chaotic offseason from President of Baseball Operations Jerry DePoto, uh, though it's really just been shuffling money around and not making the team any better. That was his that was his view on the Mariners offseason. He gives it an F. Is that a fair grade? I don't think so. Um, there's a lot of room <laughs> that you can go there. I mean, there are things that he says there that are absolutely true. I think on the disappointment scale and where you thought that they would be this offseason three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, you did not have that big get the last three years. You were expecting it somewhere. It didn't happen. People are upset. People uh, absolutely. Rightly. Are, yeah. Yes. Yes. This This is not where you expected them to be. At some point, and it doesn't sound like David Schoenfeld has drawn that line yet, but at some point you're like, okay, well, this is where we're at. We don't know this. We have to separate this from we got to play a baseball season next year. Mm -hmm. And by the way, fair or not, as a team, as an organization, our expectations have not changed. And so at that point, it is all put in the hands of Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander. And to give them an F? Yeah, see, I, that's where I drew a huge difference. I don't necessarily like, give either group an F. An F is like Oakland. Oakland gets an F. Oakland is not going to be competitive. They're moving. I mean, like, that's an F. Right. So maybe I just have a little bit different scale than Schoenfeld, but I would give the Mariners a C minus, maybe a D plus for their offseason in general. It hasn't been very good. They don't look appreciably better than they did last year. They look a little different. But I don't know that I could say they look appreciably better. They might be a little bit better, but it doesn't seem like the likely outcome is that they're 10 games better than they were a year ago. That would call that would be a surprise if they ended up being significantly better than they were last year and winning 100 games. Would you agree? 
Well, I don't know if the goal was winning 100 games. I mean, you want to get to the postseason, and what's it going to take to get there? And what have they done to put themselves in that position? I, I think that I probably think that they are a little more improved than you think they are. Uh, I think there may be a win or two better, depending on how things go. And and I guess to finish my statement here, while I would give them a C minus overall, maybe a D plus, I'd give Jerry and Justin an A minus or a B plus for what they've done, given the constraints and limitations around them. They are shortchanged on payroll. And that happened at the last minute, which I think is incredibly difficult. They pivoted well. They've kept the team similar or maybe slightly better and done so while saving $13 million so far that they can still spend in order to make it a little bit better along the way. And they've kept all of their young pitching intact. So I think what they've done is, quite frankly, almost a masterstroke in dealing with the challenges presented to them. But overall, I don't know that I can say they look significantly better than they did a year ago. If you were going to tell me that you were going to be sitting on, what is it, the 26th? I think it's Friday. It is. Okay. <laughs> I, I never know where I am or what day it is. Uh, if you were going to tell me you were sitting where you are right now without having touched one of your young pitchers, without having dipped into your farm system at all, which I don't know if that's even fair because nobody's interested in that this year, mm -hmm. if you've noticed anybody's farm system. These are all... You know, MLBers for MLBers are on the trade front, which has been a limited trade front in, instead. But if you were able to do that and fill all of your needs unspectacularly, these you know, you, you people. What about third base? What about second base? And you know, you look up and down lineups, and everybody has got a weakness somewhere. And the Mariners are able to roll out a complete team right now. Mm -hmm. And they do have some strengths, and we can get into it a little bit later. If you look at the projections right now, uh, people who don't look at projections are going to be pretty shocked at where the Mariners are on a couple of different projection like systems. Uh, first base. Um, I'm laughing at third base. They they aren't they aren't they're not terrible. They're not, they are not projected to have the worst third baseman <laughs> in in the division. Do you know who does? Uh, no. Oakland, do you know who their third okay. baseman is? No. Who, by the way, I give a G or an H for yeah, what know, they yeah. did what's, this what's year. What's below an F? I yeah. just keep going? I don't know who Oakland's third baseman Abe is. Abe Toro. Oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> He's back. It's not what you're looking for. Uh, but it, for them to be able to uh, fill the needs that they had and not have to, it, under the constrictions and restrictions that they were under and not have to give up anything significant for their future – uh, I think uh, absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. and, and you're not a thing that I get so much, and I think maybe you're there a little bit because there are some question marks about the players that they brought in. This is not Tommy LaStella. This is not A.J. Pollock. This is not Colton Wong. They have very much upgraded what they brought in from those players. You can lay out their numbers. They've done much better. And I think you can say you look in terms of OPS, in terms of WRC+, in terms of strikeouts, they've upgraded Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez, not necessarily at those positions, but overall with what they've brought in. And probably if you were going to count regression for them, I think that's another step that takes them beyond where they were at the end of last year in particular. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not down necessarily on it all, Shannon, but taken as a whole, it's a disappointment. And, you know, coming off of the disappoint disappointment of last year, 
there were opportunities for the team to improve more than they have this year. Is, you know, is third base going to be better than some folks think? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've brought in a capable third baseman who, if he's healthy, is probably better than most of us realize. But was he the best option available? Or could they have done more if given a healthier budget to try to bring stuff in? Did they bring in Juan Soto? No. Did they bring in? I mean, there were legitimate players, bats, known quantities that were available to them, to anybody, that they opted not to pursue or to go after or to, you know, end up getting. So do I think that they could be better than last year? Yes. Do I think that they're as good as they could have been? If given a full budget to to do it, no. And that's why, to me, you can't get better than a C for what you've done in the offseason. Okay, well, you've just twisted it because now I, I'm taking it as two no, different things. No, I know. You're things. going back to the I'm Jerry taking DePoto it as thing. two different things no, I am completely. Too. Yeah, th- and yes, there's a lot more they could have done if they spent. It's so hard. This, no this, the subtlety of this conversation is hard because the moment you say, hey, given the constraints of what they were under – I think they did pretty well. There's a group of people that think you are ignoring the obnoxious constraints. And if you only say, hey, this is absolute garbage. This team is going to be awful. You're ignoring the fact that given the constraints, the GM actually did a pretty good job of trying to improve the team. But it's very, very difficult to argue that little sliver right in between those two points. Well, sometimes you have to separate kind of the fan side. And that's something I learned this winter. And it's good to get back in touch with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my fandom, I'm a Husky fan. And that's when I get, you know, that's when I get angry about things. That's when it gets personal. That's when I get irrational sometimes. And that's when my expectations fly sky high. And I don't want to hear anything other than they should be this. And you're not talking me off of that ledge. Uh, With the Mariners, that's different. I cover the Mariners. I want them to do well. I want Seattle fans to to have something to grasp onto and to totally, you know, you want them to do well because of what it does for everybody around them. But... You For me, I have to separate, again, draw that line. Well, they're going to have to play baseball now. Where are they? And where were they? And I think that you can sit down and you can analytically break it down and you can crunch the numbers. And I think that if you do look at that, I do think by the numbers and on paper, they are better than they were at the end of last year. And perhaps moving in a better direction, too, in some of the moves that they made. Yeah. And, uh, again, to the uh, you know the grade, the fact that Jerry DePoto was able to turn Robbie Ray into something, not just turn that into something, Remarkable. but also, you know, the concept of we're spending too much on pitching right now, regardless of how much we're spending. And mm-hmm. we would like them to spend everything and get everybody. But he was right. They were unbalanced with that and able to take that and hopefully put that more into offense. I, I think that that was important. We got a lot to go here. Uh, We're going to talk a ton of baseball over the course of uh, the morning here. But for all of the conversation we have about the details and changes around the margins of this team, there are still one, maybe two things that will affect them more than anything else. We'll dig into that in about 20 minutes. Come right back with everything you need to know. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know 
up first. Well, we're down to two openings left in the NFL. A whole bunch of big or familiar names are still out there to fill them, too, if you want them. This, after a couple of teams hired head coaches yesterday, the Panthers choose former Seahawks assistant Dave Canales, and then the Falcons turned later in the day to Raheem Morris, who'd been in that organization before. Canales was not on the Seahawks list of interviewees, despite their familiarity with him, and I think many see him more as Carolina's best option rather than necessarily the best person for the job. And then as for Morris, look, he briefly led the Falcons after Dan Quinn was fired. Then they opted to go with Arthur Smith. They correct that mistake now by giving Morris another shot. I think he'll be pretty darn good, and uh, he's certainly well-respected everywhere. But why didn't they hire Bill Belichick? Albert Breer has the info. Like I think a lot of this comes down to Arthur Blank wanted to hire, and I have that on good authority. I know you've heard it too. Arthur Blank wanted to hire Bill Belichick, the head coach. And it wasn't the money. I think he was willing to pay him. It was everything else that was going to have to happen and the amount of people around him that Bill's going to need here and the amount of people that might be outgoing because of it. So I think it wasn't Bill the coach. I think Blank wanted to hire Bill the coach. I think more than anything else, it was the fact that maybe Bill wanted the thing set up a certain way and Blank wasn't comfortable with that, especially for, as Tom said, a guy who might only be around for a year. Yeah, I think I understand that, right? These guys, the Belichicks, et cetera, have in some ways, not that they priced themselves out, but they have such respect and command such a situation that they want understandably their way that to commit to them is more than just committing to a coach for a few years. It's committing to an entire organizational shift that not every owner is willing to make. And who's going to in that situation? That seems like it would only be if they were like in a total rebuild. You're going to do that. If not, they've got their hands in everything and you have to. It affects everything very difficult to do that full rebuild with a guy who's as old as Belichick or Pete or We're somebody in that world. He's making That's exactly it. right. Meanwhile, what are the Seahawks going to do? Field Yates joining Wyman and Bob yesterday says, yes, pretty simple. It's been simple all along. It felt like just within hours of that announcement dropping, it was already Dan Quinn to Seattle had generated a lot of steam and it's logical in the sense that of course Dan knows pretty much everybody that's been in the building for quite some time. He's you know, been a head coach himself so you kind of have an idea of what he can bring to the table. He's a defensive-minded man which, of course, is important for a team that you know, I think right now is in really good shape offensively and just needs to really, really figure it out on defense. Well, I think they probably need a little bit more than that. But for whatever reason, Dan Quinn has not garnered the momentum, at least locally here in Seattle. Ultimately, that choice will come down to John. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, I don't know if he's going to win, but it was sure nice to see what we did this year from Devin Witherspoon. And now he is one of the finalists for Defensive Rookie of the Year. A revelation at times with his speed, his physicality, natural instincts on the field. Now he's not the only guy nominated. We also have both Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, two names that we spent a lot of time discussing before last year's draft. But Witherspoon, he's kind of a different cat, man. He has been a breath of fresh air on what was ultimately a disappointing season. Shannon agrees. Here's the third thing you need to know. And newfound uh, Kraken fan, Shannon Dreyer. She went to her first Kraken game last week. At Climate Pledge. Oh, okay. You've been to others. My first indoor Kraken game. Your first indoor Kraken game. Well, they'll be back to it tonight. St. Louis is in town. Uh, It was against the Blues last year that Dave Haxtall decided to call timeout with his team getting blown out. And then since that day, they've been a completely different squad. Hopefully... 
They'll continue to improve with Matty Beneers hopefully back for the game tonight. John Hayden was sent back to Coachella, so I think that's a pretty good sign that that could happen. Jordan Everly on with Bump and Stacy yesterday. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people to give credit to on this team, but when you're talking depth, sometimes you need to speak about the guys that don't get all the ink. And I'm with Jordan on this one. Will Borgen deserves a lot of credit. Will Borgen on the back end. He's had a great year. I think he plays maybe arguably harder than any guy on the team. I think he leads our team in hits and block shots and stuff that maybe goes unappreciated, but as a, as a teammate, you respect that stuff. I agree with that. He's a physical player as well. And then, Shannon, good news. The Huskies will at least have some quarterbacks on the roster. For a few days ago, it seemed like maybe they would not. But now Will Rogers has pledged to stay and Damon Williams Jr. committed. And now they've also retained young Demaricus Davis, who withdrew from the portal. He's going to stay in Seattle. I don't like how we're watching college football these days. Watching the portal. Hating ex-coaches. I mean, this is just, it's, I think everybody is probably about in the same place yeah. that something needs to be fixed. Well, it's weird having a, an entire sport with no contracts. Like, the one thing you can count on in pro sports is that certain players are going to be there for a certain amount of time unless you decide to deal them. But having, yeah, no no contract at all makes everything year to year, and that's a strange way to live. It's the most unregulated pro sport in the U.S. Right. That's, that's a great way of looking at it. And it shouldn't be. It should be college football, and it has no resemblance to that. And to punish a team that is already suffering because they lost their coach, mm-hmm. it's it, we're going to see this fixed at some point. And yep. unfortunately, and here's the Husky fan in me, you'll see that the Huskies just got absolutely. Oh, so you up think that after more see, than the one thing team. I would say is once a, once your coach leaves, everybody should be able to leave. I don't like. I committed to come play for that coach. He's leaving. I'm leaving. I think that if you are coming in and you haven't played yet, yes, but there's a whole system, there's a whole school. Mm. I I would like I don't think the NIL is the problem right now. Right. I, I it's the transfer portal and uh, you know even just take it back to the sit out for a year and I think you'd be fine. I think there's an in between. Uh, and you know, eventually cooler heads I'm sure will prevail, but it could be a while cuz there's a lot. You just get one option instead of two. Sure. Yeah, like or you can transfer <laughs> however many times and then that's it. Like at some point or you have to stick for a certain amount of time. It seems like it's if somebody wanted to, well, there's no commissioner, there's nobody in charge. So, whatever. All right, coming up next, Shannon, I've got 10 Mariner questions for you. And before we get to any of them, for all of our debates, are they better? Are they worse? Did they do enough? Did they not do enough? Did they spend enough, et cetera? There are two things that will still dictate how this team performs this year beyond anything else. That's next on Brock and Salk. This is Brock and Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. No truth to the rumor. Shannon Dreyer is only here because she's excited to do ranked at 945. But I think that's actually the case. Shannon's yes. only here because she's excited. I'm to like, do. what do you mean? Seven? Yeah. Okay. And you're like, you can do ranked. You can do ranked. Okay. And I'll it's going to be in. a good one, too. I have got a little sneak preview. There's some... There's a battle for the top few spots today in ranked, I would say. So that's coming up uh, Wait, at isn't Shannon ranking them? Yeah, I know. But knowing what's there, it's got to be a battle. I got really frustrated with them at 6 no kidding. this morning, Shannon, because he was trying to do his own list. And he's like, well, she's going to need help. I'm like, you said you were letting Shannon rank. No, I, I did letting want Shannon help. Rank, but she, the fun of ranked <laughs> is coming up with all of the things that get to be there. Is this going to be a contentious rank? Always. Well, with Maura, yes. Every day is contentious. People, she's a very contentious well, person. People get upset when I don't. Uh, right. When I don't give my thoughts on <laughs> it. They right. like the battle. For all, for before we go uh, do a little rapid fire here and then some Blue 88, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Um, for all the debate, Shannon, 
for all the conversation, for all the emotion around this Mariner offseason, and there's a lot of it, a lot of emotion, right, that sometimes can color our view of facts, et cetera. There are two things that will still determine how good this Mariner season is, and none of them have to do with new players coming in from the outside. The first one, as always, is their starting pitching, the health of it, the success of it. If their starting pitching is able to stay healthy, healthier than last year, that will play an enormous role, obviously, in how good this team is. It's the strength of the team, and if it's not healthy, they're probably going to have a problem because they don't have a tremendous amount of depth right now in their starting rotation. You got Emerson Hancock, you got Sclafani ish and then like that's kind of it right now in terms of what you can withstand in terms of injuries in your starting rotation. Two, point number two, and I can't believe how little we've talked about this. Maybe I'm guilty of it. Maybe you would say, no, Mike, I've been talking about it the whole time. Is Julio going to have a good year? Because if Julio Rodriguez is the player that we thought he was going to become last year, if he becomes it this year, that will take care of a lot of the warts and a lot of the issues that we've seen with this team at times over the last year or so. Isn't that always going to be a given? I mean, is there going to be a time where it isn't as Julio goes, the Mariners go, as good as the pitching and as important as the pitching is? Isn't he the key to the entire thing? He I mean, I know he was be. last. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. But I just feel like in, we get, you know, in the offseason, you tend to get caught up in what else? Who else can come in? How do you supplement? How do you fix this? How do you, and those things are important. Don't get me wrong. They're incredibly important. They will have an effect on the Mariners' record this year. Mm-hmm. But you know what would be nice? If Julio just came out and had an unfreaking believable season and became the MVP player that so many of us think he can become. And the industry does, too. I mean, you look at the projections and you look at the rankings and obviously all the advertising and everything mm-hmm. else. They are banking on that. And you need to see that. And I think he needs to see that at the beginning of the season. He does not want to come into the season and kind of feel his way through April and May and, and make adjustments and whatnot. And I think you've probably heard, I know that I've heard in talking to several people in the organization, uh, I know um, uh, you know J.D. went down and saw him a, a couple of weeks ago, very focused, uh, has an understanding of where things went wrong for him last year, and has made some changes in, in how he handles some things. Good. So uh, he is, he knows yeah, I think that we looked at it, and it was it was painful early on. It was painful when he wasn't there. Yeah. He was there, but he wasn't there. You know, you did not see what you expected to see coming off the previous year and the rookie of the year early on last season. And uh, he kind of felt okay with it, and then he had his great August. But you need that length of season. He knows that. Yeah, good. Well, that would be awesome. And I think it's something that we all kind of, or at least I've been guilty of maybe losing sight of the fact that Julio will be so important to how this season goes. All right, Shannon, I've got 10 rapid fire questions for you and we've got 10 minutes to do them. Are you ready? We got one minute per question. Give me a little music for some Mariners rapid fire. You ready? You don't seem ready. This is this is too mellow for rapid fire. What this, are we doing? I'm we slowing got, this down already. That's what already. we got, Shannon. That's what we got. That's what we got. <laughs> thinking. All right. Thinking. <laughs> thinking. Rapid fire. All right, fire Shannon. Thoughts. Mariners rapid fire. What is left to do? 
What is left to do? And I think that we could, I think there's a chance that we see it. The lineup that they have right now, when you get into it, very functional. I think Scott Service is going to be happy with what they're able to do with the left, right. Uh, you know, they, I think they've taken care of the strikeout a little bit. It can be better. And there are things that I think that are attainable out there that can help. It's one piece. I think you need to do something that is going to allow you to platoon at third base. And if that is pick up a third baseman full-time, or if that is uh, pick up a second baseman that is out there, be it by trade, be it by free agent, there's not much out there. Uh, Yeah, I I think I'm still intrigued, and I don't know that they're going to make any more moves. I'm still intrigued by Paredes at at third base, Mm -hmm. and I know some say, you know what, he's a dead pull hitter. It's not going to play, especially early. Uh, Go watch him hit. I think it's going to play. Um, Polanco is still out there uh, in Minnesota. They haven't made a move. There was talk that they could um, and they should. They needed to cut back on salary a little bit. We haven't seen that yet. I know you hear Whit Merrifield out there quite a bit. I don't see that as an everyday option. I don't think Justin Turner is an everyday in the field player right now. I think this has got to be somebody that you're putting in a position. Um, And then it's a pipe dream. I don't think it's going to happen. But if Matt Chapman were to absolutely tank in his value, and yeah, it was at looking point, at a pillow situation. Yes, at some point, guy. I well, I don't like what we saw with the offense, but if it was short term. Hmm. Uh, Shannon, who is your favorite acquisition so far? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say Rayleigh just because he's such an interesting player. And it's going to be fun. We've talked to him a little bit. Did you see the Mariners put out? First of all, he's an Ohio guy. If you don't know him, he's what, about six foot three, six foot four, 235 pounds, and an athlete. Tampa puts him in center field. They value defense. If they put him out in center field, that is saying something. Uh, You know, the Luke Nukes, you've heard about those. He's got great power and whatnot. Um, He's from Ohio, and he is born and and just raised in everything Ohio. Mariners put out their little poster, their social media, where they ask him a bunch of rapid-fire questions. Favorite player growing up. Did you see who it was? No. Travis Hafner. (laughs) Pronk? Pronk. Said wow. nobody ever other than Luke Rayleigh, which, you know, another big first baseman. I thought it was from Cleveland. I, I like thought Travis it was a, I, it was a favorite really player ever. Yes, but favorite. I thought that was great. He likes a good project donkey. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Shannon, uh, biggest missed opportunity this offseason? Well, if you take this, I mean, obviously, is you would have loved to have had the big spend. You would have loved to have had the generational player who was with the Dodgers. You would have loved to have had the great new pitching star who is now with the Dodgers. <laughs> um, but if, if you come down to what was within their grasp this year, and this is a small one, but I, I think it hurts, Tom Murphy. I think that for what he went with and with that, you know, taking into consideration that you got Garber and you had that backup. I think that would have been a nice bat, nice presence to have. The big one for me uh, this offseason was Juan Soto. I think that there was an opportunity to go do it. I wish that they had, and the money was short-term, not long-term, and I think that would have been worth it. Uh, For smaller ones, it's all the relievers that we've seen sign in the last week or two for in the $10 million range. All right, maybe you didn't need to go after Hayter, although quite frankly, I'd have been psyched if they had done that. Add, add Hater to the back end of this bullpen and let everybody else slot in underneath them. And I think it would have drastically improved the team this year. I would have loved that. But if not, how about just Matt Moore, mm-hmm. who signed, what, a couple days ago with the Angels for $9 million? Yeah, I think that would have made your team better as well. Scariest problem with this roster currently? Everything you just said. The bullpen? Yes, and I say this every year going yeah. in, and they prove me wrong every year. And I am very nervous about the bullpen that they have right now. 
you take a look, they never replaced Paul Seawald. And this was a pen, a back end of the pen that was supposed to be more of a three-headed monster. And I'm sorry they haven't done it. Uh, Matt Brash threw a ton last year. Andres Munoz was not the same Andres Munoz that we saw previously. Hopefully a full spring training. Hopefully kind of honing in on the repertoire a little bit. Being a year older is going to help with that. But I would have absolutely loved any one of those pitchers that you were just talking about. Totally agree. All right. Uh, My scariest problem, though, that's number two on my list. Number one is just the starting pitching depth. You get one or two injuries, and you are really staring a problem in the face. They do not have depth in the upper minors, at least in the starting pitching department. Well, really in any department. All right. Uh, Biggest boom or bust potential on this roster right now? That's a tough one. Um, really? I'm going to well, go with Ty France. I'll let you think for a moment. Yeah, no, I, I had, um, I didn't know if you wanted, you know, it, I, France, Hanniger, I'm sure. could it be both. Yes. He literally could be both. At the same time. Yes. Booming when healthy and busting when freak injury, God knows what. And the, the unfortunate thing is they're not relying on him to be a boom. They mm. know what he is, but if he is able to do that, that would be fantastic. And all eyes are going to be on Ty France in spring training. You know, the spring trainings have changed. The team is usually right in place. You don't have the position battles. So sitting back, you know, what is going to be the big story early? How does Ty France look? Yep. You know, what changes has he made? And any change that Ty France makes is huge because he is the least changeable player, I think, in that roster. Breakout candidate. Dom Canzone. Hmm. I like that one. I like. Bounce back candidate. Mitch Haniger. (laughs) I was going with Ty France on that one, too. Regression candidate. J.P. Crawford. Yeah. That's a tough one to say, isn't it? But he's like the one guy that has really outperformed his previous bests from, you know, what he did last year. He's the only real natural candidate there, right? Which I guess is good lo- good news because I you should, I don't think you should ever doubt J.P. Crawford. Mm. I, I think that he, he is a competitor through and through and improving himself steadily. And he could still be on the up right now. I'm going to agree with you on the Dom Canzone breakout. Bounce back. Um, I'm going to throw Luis Castillo's name on there. Good season last yep. year. Not as good as he's capable of. I'm going to put him as my as my bounce back candidate. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you on J.P. Crawford. Name that we should be talking more about. George Kirby. How come? Because I think he could win the Cy Young. I mean, I think everybody thinks he could win a Cy Young in the next few years. Why not this year? And, man, he is so fun to watch out there, the the way he progresses through a season. And the stuff is ridiculous. The freakish ability to create on the fly is Mm -hmm. real. Uh, He's a competitor that I think he is learning how to kind of handle that a little bit more. Sky's the limit for George Kirby. I think he's a star, and I don't think we talk about him enough. I'm going to give you the name I started off this whole thing with, and that's Julio Rodriguez. As stupid as it sounds, I think Julio's actually the name we should be talking about more. We are so caught up, understandably. I'm not, like, criticizing us for it in what they're doing around Julio but we got one of the true stars in baseball here in Seattle right now, and he needs to play like it. He had a good season, not a great season last year. They need him to be great in order for them to be great as well. Last one for you, Shannon. Um, the strategic changes we've heard about with their offensive coordinator, all that. What is it? Is it real? 
I think it is. I think in a couple of different terms. You bring in Brant Brown, and he is, of course, the bench coach, but he is going to be, I think, in charge of the hitting group, and he's going to be the strategist and the approach. And he's got such great experience. He has worked with all the hitting gurus, with the Dodgers. He had did good things in Miami. And I, I think in talking with him, I think that he brings kind of a voice that I think that they need to hear, and we've talked about it before. You like what they do, but sometimes you need a little bit of a different voice. And he does have a little bit different terminology. And mm-hmm. that's been intriguing to me and what they've done with this coaching staff. Because what they've done the last few years, promote from within, there's that, you know, kind of synergy. And it's, it's you know, from the bottom of the minors to the top. Everybody speaks the same mm-hmm. language. Sat down with Brett Brown, did not hear control the zone or dominate the zone in 20 minutes. Did hear things a little bit different. And they all kind of add up to the same thing, let's be honest here. But sometimes you need to hear a little bit something different. Tommy Joseph is going to bring good experience as well, and I'm really excited to see what they do. And just kind of specifically... But, um, but, but that, that, this whole idea of like early in the season, they got to right. play differently, this right. and that, you don't think that's what that means? I don't think it necessarily means bunt, but I do think it means give yourself up more mm-hmm. in that, you know, you be more conscious of what Go you're the doing at the play, more be more of a team hitter. Shannon, great stuff. Uh, really fun, uh, rapid fire. By the way, one other regression candidate, and I'm sure he'd be on your list as well, is Matt Brash for the reasons you mentioned. Just all of the innings that he ate up last year, those tend to have an effect on I'm just people. afraid to say his name out loud right now. I, totally I think know it's what you just mean. I don't want him to even pick you know up. What, I hope he has not picked up a ball. It's yet. also possible that Matt Brash comes out and is even better. I mean, he's still super young and still somewhat new to the game and pitching and all of that. He could be better than he was last year. He he's kind of more. Maybe I'll put him in an X factor category. Like you just don't know entirely what you're going to get. But if it's good, that would be pretty phenomenal. All right, a uh, ton of baseball with Shannon today. I got a few more debates for you before this thing is up. Right now, let's do some Blue Eighty Eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewart breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now, here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, well, no Brock today as he finishes up his vacation. He will be back Monday morning. Uh, So we're going to handle Blue 88 with some pieces of sound. We're going to let the experts, the real experts, answer these (laughs) questions, okay? Not Brock. I mean real. No, I mean the people involved in the games. Uh, In this case, I guess a recently retired player in J.J. Watt. Because one of the questions heading into this weekend is, who's Brock Purdy? Is he the guy that looked like an MVP candidate at some times this year? Or is he the guy that looked kind of lost against Green Bay on Sunday? Here's J.J. Watt. Today's, you know, media world where there's no nuance. You're not allowed to have nuance in situations. Everybody wants to have the take. Everybody wants to have, you know, that hot button issue or that topic. Like, does he have incredible weapons around him? Yes, absolutely. Do they run an offense that's extremely effective and finds ways to get guys open? And also those guys just happen to be awesome playmakers? Absolutely. But also, does Brock Purdy perform well and get the job done and he's made the two NFC championships in a row? Yes. Is he sometimes doing it by himself and making these unbelievable plays and is he Patrick Mahomes at this moment right now no I don't think so but overall has he done a good job yeah he's been in the NFC championship two years in a row so let's not like detract and take away from that just because he's got an incredible team around him I think that's a good way of looking at it he's probably not going to carry his team on his back the question is at some point will he need to Will he need to against Detroit? I don't know. I think that Detroit team is good and maybe one year away from really being a Super Bowl contender. 
could be wrong. They feel like they're still one year away. Hard for me to imagine them beating two of the three teams that are left. But if, if, if Brock Purdy is going to beat Detroit and either Baltimore or Kansas City, at some point, he's going to be called upon to do something a little bit more than just get the ball to his playmakers. Even Tom Brady in his early years had to have the couple of huge drives late in games to win Super Bowls. At some point, Brock Purdy is going to be called upon to do that, and we'll find out whether or not he's got that or not. Question number two. Simple question, impossible answer. How do you shut down Lamar Jackson, the league's most exciting player? Defense coordinator for the Chiefs, Steve Spagnuolo, has that responsibility. Here's what he said. They are different quarterbacks. You know, what we want to do to him might change a little bit. I don't want to dive too deep into it, but he's just like, if you, you put the film on, I mean, it's like, okay, how, how do you defend that? It's another one of those, right? Because there's some things he does that nobody else does and uh the, the best thing we can do is try to try to contain him as best we can to me the best thing we did last week if we can if we could do this again which is hard to do is limit the explosive passes i mean i think that helps us you know then it makes him kind of matriculate down the field we certainly need to defend this quarterback better than we did last week to make things go the way we yeah of course he's referring to what they did against josh allen i don't know how you defend lamar jackson I really don't. I think he is one of those cheat codes in sports that there's just no good way to defend him. I think he's the best player in the NFL. I think he should be the MVP again this year. And he's, as I've said many times, my favorite player to watch. But he is legitimately good enough at throwing and running that there's no you cannot focus on one or the other. You've got to find a way to do both. The key for me is you got to find a way to play zone. You have to play a good zone defense against Lamar Jackson because if you turn your back and run, he's going to run. So you have to find a way to shut them down with a zone defense. If they can do that, then, yeah, I think the Chiefs have an opportunity to win that game. Question number three. Shannon, this one's for you. How good are the Huskies going to be with Jed Fish? Here is Field Yates yesterday. So excited for the program. I mean, obviously, Coach, you know, Kalen DeBoer is terrific, uh, but Jed Fish is awesome. I mean, he is totally magnetic. He is just a blast to be around. Him and I have spent some time in the past together, and I think the world of him, not just as a coach, but as a leader, like, you got to have a certain energy as a college coach, especially in the world of college football that we live in now. Him and I spent a day together a couple summers ago, and uh, he is totally i mean he made he had me ready to run through a brick wall uh so i'm fired up for the huskies to land uh, coach fish and he is worth every penny uh in that college football landscape because he's going to instantly you know i would say change the program they just play in the national championship but keep the program uh, where it deserves to be i mean it's still one of the great college football programs in the entire country shannon can jed fish keep the huskies at an elite level Next year is going to be a rebuilding year. I don't think there's any way around that, but I like a lot of the things that I've seen from him. And one of the things that I heard, and I, I you know, did the deep dive, watched the YouTube videos, interviews throughout seasons and whatnot, did a lot of reading, crazy stories with him. Uh, but one of the things somebody said, it's going to be a lot of fun. He is going to be a lot of fun to have as the head coach, not just for the players, but for everybody who watches the program. And I think that's a great way to go where you are at where you're at. Mm -hmm. I think he is the right person for this job. There was going to be a rebuild regardless. You were losing a ton of players. You've lost a lot more. Don't feel great about that. But his energy is something that I've seen from the get-go. Um, the, the history, the fact that he's up for this challenge, sure, there were $2 million more a year, but he was set at Arizona. 
you know, they had a good chance. I think they probably have a better chance of getting into that 12 next year than the Huskies do. But he he jumped. He brought, you know, his staff with him, and he's hit the ground running, doing things a little differently. He's marketing the team. If you look at his social media, I find it very interesting, and it's going to be fun to watch. That is today's Blue 88 uh, with Shannon helping out. Um, Is he going to be here in a year? That's the one question. <laughs> I mean, like, that's all good to say. What I want to believe. What if I he's want, in Florida you're, you're a year the fan from now. in me. I yeah. really want to believe. <laughs> what if he's in Florida a year from now and you're right back in this conversation? I think if the... Well, if, we wouldn't be safe in the sports pit because Shannon was throwing things. I heard that. What's up with that? Well, you were you throwing know, things? You know what really? was awesome? You know, <laughs> you were really? Taking, like, some anger management you know, courses? It was really, really you great. You didn't kick a giant water jug or anything, did you? No, because there wasn't one in there. But Brent tweeted out, they better figure out, you know, if Kalen DeBoer leaves, Shannon's going to throw something. Yeah in the sports pit and I looked over and the first thing I saw was a Jordan Eberly bobblehead and and me not quite being the Kraken expert three right. weeks ago that I am right now yes. looked at that and I'm like and it, that's it that's what goes tweeted out fly Eberly fly no. with a picture of it and unfortunately had to tweet that out when it really happened Go to my first indoor Kraken game. And now? Who scores in that game? Ebbs. My guy, Jordan Eberle. Nice. Which game did you go to? Uh, Sunday. Oh, okay. Sunday. Yeah, that wasn't as good a game. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. What was your big takeaway from being there in person? What a production. Just sort of what the team does and the, Every, the audio, the visual, all building, that stuff. The building, the team, cool, huh? everything. I, I've been to a few hockey games before. Yeah. And, and we I, used to go to Arizona games Yeah, together. we went to Arizona. Yeah. I've been up to Vancouver a few times, too. I like hockey, and the more I watch, the more I like it. And I also, I want to be on the plaid patrol, the flannel patrol yeah. the, with the shovels. Yeah, you and, think that'd be a good gig for you? Absolutely. Can you skate? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yes. then, yeah. If anybody can get you. me in on that, I'm I'm absolutely. Call Wiki, I am. see if you can uh, make that happen. <laughs> All right. Shannon's in for a couple more hours. She will do ranked at 945. She will be here for open phone lines. Please don't embarrass us in front of Shannon. We have a reputation to uphold. So I'm sure you guys will have some great calls coming up at 930. Shannon, uh, I went off. I had a rant yesterday. I you? ranted. I ranted, and I might even say I raved. And uh, I would like to uh, get your take on it. That's next. I'm Brock and Salt.